Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. I'm Adam Huss, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thank you so much for listening, and happy solstice season. I want to mention how grateful I am to those of you who have subscribed via Patreon. Your financial support is both incredibly encouraging and necessary in making this podcast possible. If you value this podcast and would like to support it, you can subscribe as well, and I'll include a link to our Patreon in the show notes. But also, a simple review with one positive word and five stars on the app that you use to listen is extremely helpful in getting the word out and helping the ideas that we discuss here filter out into the world of ideas through those algorithmic gatekeepers. It takes less than a minute to leave a review, but the impact is immense. So it may be one of the most efficient ways to do something ecologically beneficial this year. And I really thank you for doing that. The sponsor for this episode is Centralis Wines. Centralis is an ecological winery that I started to realize my vision of a wine world in which humans are the students and servants of the non-human world, regenerating and protecting the vitality of ecosystems and promoting the diversity of life through wines that uniquely and deliciously reflect local abundance. You can learn more, sign up for the wine club or email list, and buy wines at centraliswine.com. That's C-E-N-T-R-A-L-A-S wine.com. And if you enter the code OWP for Organic Wine Podcast at checkout, you'll get 10% off from now through the end of 2022. My guests for this episode are Tara Gomez and Mireya Taribo of Cummings to Dreams Winery in Lompoc, California. In some partnerships, one person will have the greater passion for or experience with wine, while Business or marketing savvy, for example, may be the forte of the other partner. In Tara and Mireya's case, there are two partners who caught the winemaking bug early in life and have spent their entire lives, both apart and together, learning about and gaining experience in winemaking. And both contribute their depth of knowledge to the wines of Cummings to Dreams. What I'm trying to say here is it just isn't fair how delicious their wines are. Mireya is from Barcelona and grew up steeped in Spanish wine culture. She has multiple undergraduate and graduate degrees in chemistry, enology, viticulture, and all things wine. She met Tara while the two of them were working at J. Lore in Paso Robles. Mireya then hired Tara later on to help her when she got a job making wine in the Pyrenees Mountains. Tara and Mireya are two of my local heroes, based in Lompoc in Santa Barbara County, sourcing grapes from some of the same Santa Rita Hills vineyards that I've used for Centralis wines. But it's important for those of you who aren't locals to understand that these areas, now part of the Santa Barbara wine country, are the traditional lands of the Chumash tribe, which included much of central and southern California coast from Malibu to Paso Robles. Cummins to Dreams is actually the label for the Kalawashog wine cellars named for the village where Tara's Chumash ancestors once lived. After J. Lore, Tara started and made wine for her Chumash tribe under Kita Wines, She's the first recognized Native American winemaker and made Kita the first winery to be run solely by its Native American tribe with fruit from their own lands. Tara was Vine Pear's Winemaker of the Year in 2021. Tara and Mireya started Cummings to Dreams out of their shared love for wine, winemaking, and each other. And I'm honored to share their story with you. Enjoy! Tara Mireya, welcome. Thank you for doing this. Great to talk to you guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Of course. No. So I have the rare experience of actually having tried 
a lot of your wines, almost all of your wines, which isn't true with a lot of people that I talk to. So I can definitely say how delicious they are and how really your winemaking is really on point, really beautiful stuff. And it makes sense since there's two winemakers in your family, <laughs> in your winery. It's sort of unfair advantage that the two of you have um, both a lot of skills and a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience to share. Um, I, so props to you guys, though. It, it really does show in your wines. They're beautiful and delicious. And I will get into, uh, you know, those, of course, in a little bit. But I would love for you guys to just sort of, you know, introduce yourself and your backgrounds, because you guys have not only rich winemaking backgrounds, but just rich cultural backgrounds that I think are, are help inform what you guys are doing, too, that I'd love to just learn as much as I can about. Whoever sure. wants to go first. Okay. I'll go first. I'll go first. <laughs> okay. uh, so um, I'm originally from Catalonia in Spain. And I grew up there. I actually moved here in 2014. Um, so when I was in Spain or in Catalonia, I, I didn't grow up in a family that was uh, in the wine industry. But I, my dad is from a little village in the Pyrenees. And um, over there, like back in the time, everybody had a little vineyard in their house and a little cellar. So I was mm -hmm. always like really interested in wine. And um, since a very young age, uh, my parents allowed me to taste wine and, and go wine tasting with them. And uh, we would have this vineyard at home that uh, we would always, you know, harvest when it was time to harvest. And it was kind of like a family affair uh, party thing. All the family would go together to pick the grapes. Uh, which at that moment I hated, obviously I had to get up early and I was like, <laughs> I want to, I want to keep sleeping, but, but then the grapes would get home and we would food stomp it. And that was like always super fun. And, um, you know, like we, I would say how wine would come out of those grapes. Um, yeah. I always say it was horrible wine, still <laughs> not that good, <laughs> but I always was, you know, like, uh, interested in wine and, um, when I had to decide what to study, when I had to go to college, I, I also love science. I love chemistry. Um, so I decided to study chemistry and I got my degree in chemistry and pretty fast, I think I realized that I didn't want to be all day in a lab. I'm horrible in the lab. I, <laughs> Tara says that I break everything, anything that's glass True. around me. <laughs> so, Other fingers. Uh, so I thought that that was like pretty boring, like, you know, like, to be like always try to search for something that you don't even know if you're gonna find <laughs> so, uh -huh. so i was like okay i i need to do something that's a lot more active and that's more like nature related to because i love outdoors um mm. so i decided to start studying enology and um graduated in, in an enology program and um, the way I, I came here uh, to United States, um, when I finished my degree in enology, I had to choose a winery where to do a, an internship um, to finish my final project for, for the degree. And um, I just didn't know where to go. I decided I wanted to go to United States and my university, my college didn't have idea how to send a student here. So I just went to the website of California Institute or one of these websites put like all the emails that I could find in a list and send like an email blast to all the wineries saying like, hey, I'm a student uh, of enology. I'm from Spain. I want to come to a harvest. Um, there was two wineries that replied to me. 
one of was a jailer winery in Paso Robles. And they already had a program to bring students every year. So I came here for a harvest. Uh, that was in 2006. Six. And that's how I met Tara. Uh, Tara was at that moment working working there as an ologist, lab manager. We became friends. While I did my harvest there, um, went back to Spain. And um, after a few like internships and harvest here and there, I, I started working in a winery in really close to the bottom of the Pyrenees called Castel d'Encus. Um, luckily, I was supposed to do just a harvest, but the winemaker left right before harvest. So I got the winemaker position <laughs> right away. <laughs> Um, and it was like a crazy, uh, like it was like the, the hardest that I've ever worked in my life, probably yeah. in the longest hours ever. Uh, but yeah, I was there for like six or seven harvests until I moved here in 2014. Um, and in between, just like kept in contact with Tara, Tara started coming to visit. Uh, we were traveling all over the world, just visiting wine regions and uh, tasting wine and learning more about um, the different varieties and uh, different styles of winemaking. Um, once I started there at Casteldencos in Spain, I, I needed some help and my boss uh, kind of like say, like, hire whoever you want. So I called her and, hmm. and <laughs> she joined me in Spain for two vintages. Um, and in between all these, we fell in love and... Uh, that's how I landed here. Basically, uh, in 2014, I decided to move here. Um, we got married, and in 2017, we started our own winery. Yeah. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. All right. So, Tara, so and yeah. yeah, I have follow-up questions, but I'll, I'll, Tara, you should talk about your how how you got to this point. Yeah. So for me, uh, it was it was really just the love of science that kind of led me in this direction. I mean, at such a very young age, um, actually, when I was like four years old, my parents got me my first uh, microscope. And so I just love looking at nature through a microscope. And then from there, it just grew on the chemistry sets. I was kind of like an odd child, I guess, because I just like loved playing with chemistry sets and with science. And so... Um, so that was kind of like what led me in that direction. Um, and then also to going to a private school and, you know, <laughs> seeing the priest with, with, you know, the wine and everything and, and, uh, you know, and then my parents, see, so I didn't have, none of my family came from the wine industry or, or had a vineyard. But what they loved to do was go wine tasting on the weekends. And so back then, my brother and I, we used to tag along and we used to go on the wine tours. Um, and for me, I think it was at that moment, it was more like an instant connection because I remember passing by walking on the tour and seeing one of the labs and seeing them in their white lab coats. Cause I, even I had a white lab coat and, and so, <laughs> and so seeing them doing titrations and, and all of that, it's just like something that really stuck in my mind. And, and I remember telling my parents, like, this is what I want to do. And, and so in grade school um, is when, you know, I remember even in our yearbooks, I remember looking back at it just recently and, and I said, I, I either wanted to be a marine biologist or a winemaker. So it was something I knew at such a, such a young age. 
So, so by high school, I was already researching the schools of, of who offered enology and whatnot. And that back then there were only two schools. This was like in the early nineties. And so um, it was either UC Davis or Fresno State. And for me, I'm just like super hands-on and that's how I learn better is just the hands-on approach as well, besides, you know, the reading portion of it. But um, there was already a winery on campus there at Fresno State. So so it was kind of like a no-brainer for me to get, you know, the hands-on experience because I've never worked in a winery before. I just knew that this is what I wanted to study. And so... um, I went into the Nology program. Back then, there were like 100 students. And by the time I graduated, there was 12 of us that finished the program with only two of us being female um, winemakers. And so, so yeah, it was it was a little rough, um, you know, for mm-hmm. me, um, just going to school. Um, you know, I, I have a learning disability, so it took me a little bit longer to finish the coursework. As much as I love, uh, as much as I love science and chemistry, it just took me twice as long to actually finish it because because of that. But I stuck through it, and and um, I'm thankful for the my Shumash tribe. It was with the support of my Shumash tribe that I was able to go off to college and and actually get my degree. And so um, so yeah, I, I graduated out of the program, um, got my first job at Fresh Parker Winery, and. I was there for a few years and then moved on up north to Jay Lore. And yeah, as Maria said, I met her in 2006 and I was there for almost 10 years at Jay Lore Winery when I was just like, okay, I'm ready for a change. I'm ready to do something else. But I had already started, um, you know, I created my own label, which was Calabashock Wine Cellars um, mm. in 2001. So after I graduated, I moved up to Paso. Um, I was already making wine up there. And um, so, so yeah, that was my first label, Calabashock Wine Cellars. And, um, and, then, and then in 2007 eight. or eight, eight and nine is when I took off to Spain to go help Mireya with the two harvests. And then I came back. And when I came back in 2010 is when my Shumash tribe um, you know, they, they purchased the camp Four property, which mm-hmm. had, which is a 1400 acre parcel and on there, um, 256 acres was vineyard. So after a lot of convincing that I did to the tribe of wanting to, to make wine, since we are in wine country, I mean, it made total sense to me, but, but them, like, they know nothing about wine. They don't know the industry. And so so after a lot of convincing, they finally decided to, yes, okay, like, we'll, we'll let you try it out. And so I, I started off with three tons, um, and I uh, created Kita Wines for the tribe. And so that was, that was really, like, my first, like, like, like job that, you know, was solely just me <laughs> and yeah. full control. So, so, yeah, I started that in 2010. And that lasted um, up until this year um, when yeah. they decided that they wanted out of the wine industry altogether. And so, um, so I had so so thank goodness I had already we had already created Camines of Dreams, and I brought back Calabashock, the name Calabashock Wine Cellars, which is still our business name because I held okay. on to that licensing. 
And so, so yeah. And so now here we are, and now we're we're doing oh. coming to dreams. <laughs> so coming to dreams is is not the license holder; it's the label. It's like the it's, DBA kind of thing. Yes, yes. Cowboys oh. Wine Cellars is the business name. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, okay. we wanted um, when we were ready to open or to start making wine together. We we decided to create a DBA that represented both of us. Yeah. Um, so that's where we got the name of Camins to Dreams. Uh, Camins in Catalan, which is my language, means path. Um, so right. it's the path to our dreams. Um, as I was saying earlier, like we you know, like we used to travel a lot, her and I, and when she would come and visit to Europe and just visit all these wine regions and mm-hmm. and everything. So we say that it's through all the paths and routes that we took that led us uh, to where we are now, to yeah, the path us, to our hometown making wine. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's great and I, I mean i i love that idea too of just you know the way that life leads us and and mm-hmm. yeah and I've, yeah i've, I've been to yeah, that we and... always talk we always you know talk back about you know when we started traveling together and everything because yeah we were we were traveling a lot <laughs> like we were young. it was awesome it was like the best days of our lives you know without <laughs> any responsibilities back then right you know? right starting out and no worries in the world <laughs> just free yeah. travelers and you know yes. it was, oh. those were definitely the good days and i mean we still do it like every now and then but obviously we're we're a lot more restricted because we have our own business yeah. now. Yeah. You have some wine babies to take care of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's true. I remember in my, I, I mean, the, the other, the nice thing about what you guys are doing, I think I did something similar, but it was a little more aimless. Whereas I feel like you guys at least could look back and be like, this also, you know, it, these were all wine, not always wine. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing that there was. Wine wine. <laughs> yeah. So in a sense, you, you were building your knowledge and build, you know, yeah. building in a direction. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I traveled and did things like become a horseback guide or, you know, like <laughs> uh, just move to the jungles of Hawaii and like wow. lived in a tree house and that kind of thing. But um, not yeah. necessarily leading to the career or the passions that I, I do now, which yeah. would have been nice. Maybe I would have been a little bit further ahead and uh, my wine would be as beautiful of yours as yours is now if I had mm-hmm. done that. But um, I, so couple things you said that I wanted to go back to, Tara. The, um, you mentioned the priest and w- w- with wine. Was this, was there, was that actually like a, something that made an impression on you? Like wine as a sacrament or just, or was that a negative impression, a, a positive I impression? A little, I think a little bit of both. I mean, because I was going to a private school, it was like literally six days a week. And so, you know, you, you see, um, you know, the priest drinking the wine. And, and back then I always like told my parents this, like, <laughs> I don't know if I should be saying this on air, but, <laughs> but I always wanted to make like better wine for the priests. And, but I didn't know anything of what I was talking about, but I just, I always just said that, that I, I wanted to make some good wine for them so that they could enjoy it. And, and many of them visited me, you know, when I was there at J. Laura winery and, and here at Press Parker, like some of them would come and visit me and I would give them a little bit of wine to take home and stuff. And I don't know, <laughs> it's just something that, you know, I was wanted to, I, I just love making something and, and seeing their, you know, their faces and how happy they get. Mm. <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel that. No, I mean, like a lot of, 
my the joy that I get out of making wine is when people, you know, when it's like something that people love. Yeah, it's like yeah. you know, I, I mean, you grow, you know, I mean, the what you make as good as it is, like, I mean, it's great when you can continually impress yourself. But I think there is a time where you're just like, I've drunk this wine so many times. Like, yes, it's good, but like the initial love is 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 faded in its fire and its fervor but when you see somebody else light up from that you know yeah. it's really yeah no that's it's a wonderful thing like sharing that i don't know i'm i yeah i think i'm less ego driven and more that whatever that is the the desire to to uh make you know to bring pleasure i, I don't know like a hedonist evangelist or something i don't know what it is but <laughs> um <laughs> um but then I, so here's a crazy question for you. Growing up, so first of all, you got, you haven't said where you are, but that's Santa Barbara County, oh, like yeah. so the, the sort Santa of countryside. <laughs> yeah, um, that's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, um, which and and the Chumash uh, tribes that was you know there and and beyond that uh, was their territory mm -hmm. originally, and so. And I'm wondering, growing up, this is a strange question, totally obviously ignorant because I don't have this experience, but I imagine like all kids, you know, however you're raised is normal because it's that's all you know. Mm -hmm. Was there a time in your life where you realized, oh, like being Shumash is kind of unique and I have this unique experience of of life and a different culture than sort of the culture, the bigger culture that you were that you grew up in? Did you ever have that moment or I, I know, did. awareness? I did. Yeah. And that was in college when I um, when I left home and which was my first time being away from my family and and everything else. When I moved to Fresno, um, I remember my parents, um, you know, they were really worried for me because, you know, I got I get homesick a lot of just being mm. away from from home. And and so they took me in um, and we met the. Uh, American Indian Studies group uh, there on campus, um, uh -huh. the Indigenous group on campus. So they introduced me to to some of the elders, and um, when we when I got the actual tour of Fresno State, I had asked if if I could meet up with um, the Indigenous community there, and so um, so I got to meet them, and and yes, it was it was really like a blessing in disguise because they not only um, you know took care of me. Um, when I needed, when I got sick or, or, or something like that. But they also taught me a lot of, um, you know, the culture and, and all the different tribes. And, and at one point I was, I was taking more of American Indian studies classes because um, I kind of took, while I was going to school, I got burnt out pretty fast um, with all the mm. chemistry and everything. And so mm. I took a little break and I went into American Indian studies because I was a part of that group um, on campus and I just wanted to learn more. And, and so that was like very eye-opening to me because, you know, being in the private, private um, school system, of course, you're taught different and, and, you know, you, you try your best to fit in because I was always kind of like, standing out from everyone. And so, so I was just always just trying to fit in, but it wasn't until college that I, that I really got a closer in-depth look at, um, at the indigenous culture and really took that in. And, um, you know, I was, I was even tra traveling the powwow circuit and representing, 
um, Fresno State um, as as one of the royalty princesses that I used to dance in, in the powwows and stuff. I mean, um, mm. and it was with it was it was through the elders that there on campus that I really learned a lot and, and through my indigenous community there. Um, so I'm really grateful that. Um, you know, my parents, you know, and, and, and I went and, and met up with them and, and that was an instant connection for me because now I felt like I, I have family here who could help me and, and be my support group since my parents were so far away and my, my immediate family was so far away. And I just mm. remember I would always be going home the first like maybe two years uh, that I was going to school there. I would always come home on weekends because I was always homesick, but then as I started to, to, um, you know, get more into the culture, indigenous culture, you know, I, I started traveling more with them and, and, um, and it was, it was so fun that, um, I got to learn so much more. And, uh, so, so yeah, mm. it's just so, great for that opportunity. Yeah. It sounds like it, it, you know, you, you realized you had this extended family of, of shared experience, shared culture, but also it sounds like it, was a transition away from, you know, feeling like you needed to uh, try to fit into being proud mm-hmm. that you were different in a way. Right. Is that, yeah. is that, so that's, that, that's, that's kind exactly of profound. It. Yeah, that was. And, wow. uh, and I even still stayed in contact, you know, with, with some of them and um, went back and, and visited them um, even after I had graduated um, some of the elders and stuff. Mm. But yeah, that's it's, great. it's, it was it was a wonderful experience for me to learn so much more, um, you know, outside of it. <laughs> and and Kita was uh, set. Uh, I mean, it, it was unique in the world, if I understand right, yeah. in terms of being. Correct. Yes. Yeah. I was the first uh, first to be recognized a Native American winemaker, and our tribe um, was the first also to be recognized as as being run solely by by our tribe. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a huge honor in itself. And, um, and yeah, I mean, for me, like, yeah, it was back in the nineties that, that when I graduated, so I've, I, I've been in this industry now this, this, this year marked my 26th harvest. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's, it, that's fantastic. And I'm, still, and I'm still loving it. And that's what I always tell Mireya, like that moment when we feel like, like we've learned everything which I know that will never happen, but not at least not anytime soon. But when you stop learning and everything, that means then that maybe this you're getting burnt out or or you just, you know, maybe it's time to get out of the industry. But I'm, yeah. I still believe that we're constantly learning um, and, and going back to like what we used to do when we first met of traveling and visiting different regions. Like we still do that when we go and visit her family in Spain. Um, you know, we take our, her parents with us and we go visit the different regions or if it's a variety that we're interested in wanting to learn more about because we want to make the next year, then, then we'll go and visit that region and really immerse ourselves in that. So wine is, is always around us. Um, we're always thinking about it and it's always like the focus of our trips. I love that. And, and that, that segues back to a question I had for Mireya, which was, it sounds like you got started real early drinking wine. <laughs> tasting wine, yeah. <laughs> tasting, oh, okay. Uh, well, I don't know if it was beginner tasting, yeah, but I actually, <laughs> when I was like super young, um, 
my my aunt always says that I was like maybe like a couple of years old, three years old. And they had a family dinner or lunch at home, and there was like a little bit of a ball left on the fridge. And I don't know they were like all like you know like in Spain we do like these long table talks, whatever. Uh, so yeah. everybody was like busy talking, chit chatting, and I went to the fridge and I, I guess I decided that I wanted to try that wine and I drank <laughs> the bottle and probably there was like barely anything, a glass of wine, not even that, obviously. Uh, but I went back to the living room like, auntie, auntie, I drink your wine. And they couldn't believe <laughs> it. Like, <laughs> they're like, oh, she's going to sleep all day. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I was like pretty interested. <laughs> <laughs> and you turned out pretty well. I mean, you know, yeah. no ma- no major damage, no lasting damage, no, I right? Think, I think they <laughs> teach in Spain that, I mean, our culture there is like you you drink wine. And now maybe nowadays a little bit less, but uh, when I grew up, you you would have wine at the table, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and, and they yeah. teach you to drink responsibly. I mean, like when you're a kid, they yes. teach you to drink, but they, they let you taste right. it and, and, you know, <laughs> you can smell it and taste it and say, okay. You cannot have a glass, but you can taste a sip if you want. Taste how it tastes, and mm-hmm. and once you start like being a teenager, like I don't know, like 16, 17, 18, like I was already drinking wine at home, always for lunch or dinner. Like I would have like yeah. you know like half a glass, and my parents would say, "Okay, half a glass. Uh, what do you think about this wine? How you like it better than the other one that we tasted? I don't know last weekend or." Obviously, not mm. during the week. I had to go to school, but uh, <laughs> but on weekends or things like this, yeah, they would let me taste the wine and there's no problem and i think it's just more like a cultural thing educational how they teach us to yeah to think about wine um yeah yeah no it's 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 a i'm sad that it's not more like that here I'm, that's why i wanted to talk about it just to mm-hmm. spread the, spread that message of... <laughs> but also because my my dad's side of the family they are from a little village in in the mountains in the pyrenees there's only 20 people living there so it's, I grew up in Barcelona as big city, but I would always go there on weekends and uh, summers and winters. So people there, it's a little bit more like, you know, like... Lax. Lax, yeah. <laughs> they are not like all, <laughs> the, all the regulations yeah. and everything. So, so of course, like they, I don't know, you learn different there, so... <laughs> yeah. So, and similar to me, you guys don't own your own vineyards currently. So you're not, are you assisting with any farming of anything? Are you leasing any space? I don't think so, right? You're buying not all your grapes. That we, not that we yet, are making, but that's but yet. our dream. Yes, yes. One day have our own land that mm-hmm. we can not only live off of, but have a vineyard. But prices yeah. in California are not easy. So, <laughs> so for now we buy grapes. Yeah. And we, <laughs> right. Yeah, we yeah. just keep dreaming. And back now, <laughs> right. we have grapes from wonderful farmers that we have in Santa Barbara County. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, we just try to to build these relationships with different growers in these areas um, that we think that they are doing a great jobs. Yeah, no, I I really like some of the farm. I mean, obviously, you know, I wanted to talk to you because of your choice of of the farmers that you you work with, and and uh, pretty much, you know, everybody that you're working with is growing organically or better. Um, can you talk, I mean, and we've, we've worked with some of the same vineyards uh, and yeah, I mean, I, w- what informs, you know, I, well, we'll get into your, I guess, like, obviously a lot of things inform that. Cause I know it's like, you, you look for the kind of farming you want and then you look for also, you guys have a brand built on, you guys are in the Santa Rita Hills, but which is, you know, Pinot and Chardonnay, but you guys are building your brand on the, on the other grapes that aren't Pinot and Chardonnay, um, which is great. I, I think that's what's really nice about your wines as well. It's a nice change when you're there. Um, 
but I, you know, I, in terms of some of the logistics, I think for anybody who buys grapes, I know it's, it's, uh, there's pros and cons, you know, the pro is like, you don't have to carry that crazy uh, mortgage on a massive piece of real estate that's super overpriced in California. But the the cons is like some of that lack of control and, and some of the logistical challenges of when you want to pick and, and those kind of things. Are you, have you had any experiences that you can share that were just like indicative of some of those challenges? Yes. No, I mean, uh, definitely there's challenges when you don't have your own, uh, vineyard you as you say you don't have all the control um you try to really uh build this relationship right with with the vineyard management team or with the workers so so you can really be you know like checking we're really lucky that also like our fruit comes from like the farther vineyard that we have it's like 30 miles away so all our vineyards are really close to us uh so that makes it a lot easier to go through all the growing uh season to check on the grapes and check on the vineyard and and um, voice what we think about it too to the uh, vineyard management teams if there's something that we don't like or that we think it could be addressed um, it's always good to have that direct conversation with them and and you know build that relationship so you understand which way the vineyard wants to go and which way we want to go and and that's why it's also important to for us to make our research first before we you know before we start like buy grapes from a vineyard we really uh look into the growing uh that they do how they manage the vineyard we taste other wines like uh that's like a work by itself yeah and then then once we find a vineyard yeah you have to build that relationship but but in terms of logistics um yeah it's obviously like this year for example it's been uh pretty (laughs) tricky for everybody that was purchasing fruit i think is uh when we had like in kind of like Labor Day week or weekend or 10 days of like a heat spike. Um, yeah, what was that, that we heat spike? we were used to here. I mean, it always it's hot around Labor Day weekend, but we normally get a couple of days of heat. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year it was like 10 days. and 10 days of like over 110, over, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, exactly. In some areas, inland was over 110. Here in Lompoc, it was like a lot of days at 100 degrees when we're normally like, well, we're normally like at 70 80 so yeah. no we're uh, like 70 yeah so so you yeah. know like everybody wants to pick at the same time and you call the grower and it's like and you already advanced that that everybody's gonna want to pick so it's like okay i'm getting right. close you call the vineyard manager or the grower hey can i pick next wednesday and i'm thinking this is a thursday today or a friday and and he's like uh, yeah in like i'm scheduling people for 10 days from today and it's like, right. okay, well, you know, like <laughs> there's nothing I can do. It's what it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. so you, you have always this these logistic problems uh, in a normal vineyard, like in a normal vintage. If you call uh, the vineyard team, I want to pick in 48 hours that, or sometimes even 24. It, it's totally possible. Uh, this year was insane. Like it was impossible. And and obviously, if it was my fruit, I wasn't gonna be. I wasn't. I was I would have been able to do it, but not having a vineyard, uh, that's what happens. And and you have to deal with it then later at the winery in terms of like blendings and how you macerate or like, you know, like we had to change yeah. a little bit the style of it's, of making wine, even though we don't add anything to the wine, you still can, you know, do shorter macerations or like yeah, everything was short. Uh, I don't know, like <laughs> like a more extreme sorting in the sorting table if that's even possible, or like you kind of like disregard more fruit than you normally do. Or yeah, so yeah, it's a little bit difficult uh, once 
these things happen, but you know, then you have to adjust. Yeah. But it, and it's, I mean, I think it's just great for people to, to, to understand how lo- logistics plays into winemaking because it's so mm-hmm. like, you know, you know, if you're a SOM and you don't know winemaking, which a lot of SOMs don't, you know, cause they're coming from a whole different perspective, you know, you're evaluating these glasses of wine as if everything is equal and everything is absolutely not equal, you know, like yeah. in terms of what led to that glass of wine. And, <laughs> yeah. and like you said, it's like the, the, the times when you need the most control where you have these extreme weather events is when you have the least control mm-hmm. it, when in your position as somebody who's buying grapes, because that's when, you know, there's a mad rush for, for harvest. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, like you, you know, when that, and it's because everybody is trying to get off and you, and you're, yeah, you're uh, yeah. yeah, you've got to you've got to deal with the wor- deal with these problems at the worst time to deal with them. So right. it, you know it exacerbates really what's happening, and then um, and of course, like you say, you guys, you know, I don't think you guys could make a bad wine, but you know, it's going to be different than if you had had mm-hmm. the control that you wanted. It's going to be different yep. than if the vintage had been different, and if you know, mm-hmm. like labor shortages were not a real thing and you know what i mean it's like all of this goes into into a glass of wine you know i think that's also like the beauty of of wine making and why even though tara says like okay she's it's her 26 vintage it was my 19 vintage this year like it's still like the excitement of how is it gonna come this year what are we gonna do because every year is different so it's not like every year you're doing the same you're getting bored um it's just like you may be doing the same varieties and wanting to do the same, but uh, it never comes <laughs> the way you want right. it. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it was, but it's crazy too because this was like the one year that that we actually planned ahead, even going as far as like a whole week, seven days of like okay, like you know it'd be like a Wednesday. Okay, I want to pick next Wednesday. You know, we were already planning it, and which is something it that was. we we don't really generally do, but. But we were just trying to think ahead, and yeah. and even and even with that those heat spikes, yeah, we still got hammered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the rain comes, and then it cools down, yeah. and then nothing ripens. So it's like it's a never. <laughs> right, <end>. right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I I I just heard of somebody who was still hanging. Um, more vedra this like just you know in december because it just i'm pretty wasn't... sure i know who you're talking about yeah 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 well and for people who don't know i mean when you say 100 degrees in lumpok i mean that's insane so you yeah, guys yeah. are basically like two miles from the beach or you know it's very close to the beach anyway i don't know if it's two miles or four miles or whatever but it's right. you you know it's at the front edge of what is considered the coolest region mm-hmm. the yeah. southernmost cool region for growing grapes on the west coast and mm-hmm. and that's because it funnels this ocean air right through the valley right yeah. through Lompoc and and the fact that it was 100 over 100 there is I mean it's it's, it's crazy. crazy I mean we <laughs> we get a little crazy when it even gets to the 80s like here because yeah yeah kind of unheard of as well but but now we're starting to see a little bit more of it because with all the changes and everything happening so <laughs> yeah i know for a i mean for a long time a lot of the storage units there didn't even have ac right like it's, right. it's yeah. I, mean, I think now you know i think people are are putting them in but right. yeah a lot of time you could just store your wine there and not worry about it ever getting over 70 really <laughs> like you know it, and that was you know for a couple hours in the middle of the day on a sunny day whereas now right. it's like yeah like you've got to 
prepare for some bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And well, that, you know, leads us a little bit into the the winemaking, which I'd love to talk about because I, I'm, I'm really curious about how both of you had this Jay Lore experience. And, <laughs> and of course, Jay Lore is as a big industrial wine production machine. Um, you know, not, I'm nothing against it at all. I'm just saying that it's a very yeah. different kind of thing than I think what you guys are doing now, which is a small batch, uh, relatively and, mm-hmm. and very hands-on. And, and I would say, I, I hate to use the term low intervention, so I'm not going to use it, but you guys are, um, I, I don't think thinking about like how you're going to just, uh, you know, do this and do that to the wine to manipulate it to create a consistent beverage. You really embrace the idea of of showcasing vineyard and vintage variation and and letting that shine through by not you know not doing uh, a lot of uh, manipulation and additives and things like that. So, right. I mean, I, I would say I would use the word natural, but I'm beginning to hate that word too. <laughs> um, and and especially because it just refuses to be defined. And I, so I think it's kind of meaningless at this point, but um, I, I, but it is a really interesting comparison from like where you're, you know, where you cut your teeth to what you're doing now. And can you talk about how that informed what, what that was like and sort of how you grew into your approach that you use now? I think it was though more of um, more of a shock to Mireya because especially <laughs> coming from Europe and then seeing seeing all the additives that get added into the wine when we were at right. right. it was definitely a, a shock when I my first day at Jailor I will remember totally it was just a shock like in terms of like <laughs> the winery and the I don't know like the huge massive presses and and like the dumpsters were i mean where you dump the grapes and, and the uh, yeah the gondolas and all that it's it's just like it was insane but i thought i remember the first day of harvest there uh and for red grapes or the first track that i saw basically dumping grapes into uh this turning thing that pushes the grapes <laughs> into like the crusher oh yeah and like a giant auger like a, I, I remember in- that and i remember there was uh a pile of bags next to it and then they start opening the bags and throwing things inside and it was like it was nothing else than uh tannins and and um how you call it chips like wooden chips which oh yeah yeah in that moment in 2006 it was still illegal in spain so obviously i've never (laughs) even seen that i knew it existed but like to have it like so obvious like just like opening bags and throwing it onto the grapes i was like oh my goodness where i I have landed you're adding like enzymes and wood chips and probably some i had done like before uh before i graduated and had done already uh two other vintages yeah two other vintages and then two other wineries that were big wineries in spain but like nothing compared to <laughs> to <Jailor. laughs> i mean like yeah nothing compared um so yeah it was it was interesting uh but then i also have to say that i learned a lot how to work fast in a cellar and and i think that's where i thrive now like mm. working uh yeah and, I'm really good at in the cellar, like, you know, like racking and, and, and I don't know, doing barrel work or like all this stuff that you have to do that, um, I probably didn't learn to do it like the best way, but I learned later, uh, 
there are wineries in Spain, how to be like a little bit more precise or like better for the wine, more careful. Uh, mm -hmm. But definitely the speed level of work that I had to learn at J-Lor. <laughs> it's, no, it's actually something that is really valuable now because I learned like so yeah. much there of like moving houses and connecting and disconnecting and this and that and uh, palms and, you know. Yeah. So there's always a good, a good side of, of everything. <laughs> and not only that, but but we saw we saw you know we we saw that side of winemaking and and then we saw more of the lower intervention style yeah. of winemaking and so so yeah we 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 chose to go that route um, because we saw both sides of it and and of course we liked more <laughs> the yeah. lower intervention so, <laughs> so that's the direction we went but but yeah I mean it, we got a taste of it we got to see it we. We worked in it, um, you know, mm -hmm. with all the additives and everything. <laughs> right, right. But it's, it, yeah, we, we chose to go the opposite direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, why why is that? Why, why do you think, it, what is it about you? I mean, why, I mean, obviously you're not trying to be um, like a, you know, half a million case winery. So that I'm sure adds to, you know, as part of that where, you know, <laughs> Uh, part of just the scale but what yeah is there anything in in who you are and how what you believe about wine and that you I think, that I think informs to me that? it's um after tasting wines you know like all over the world and traveling so much and and you get the point that you realize that uh you can make wine both ways and and you can make good wine both ways uh but to me wines that are made a little bit more like in big scale and with additives and, and more manipulation uh at the end, you can make the same wine here in Lompoc than in China if you want. Like you're adding the same yeast, right. you're adding the same nutrients, you're adding, you know, like, yeah, there's going to be a little bit difference, but you are filtering a lot. You're, you know, like you're just like making the same in both sides of the world while when you have like a more like minimal intervention approach, um, to me, you're really more true to the variety uh, in a different side. So of course, Syrah is going to be different here than in France, and Syrah is even different. Uh, we make three Syrahs from three vineyards coming a mile apart, each vineyard, and they're all really different because the vineyard site is different. And that's what it's interesting for us, like to yeah. see how each variety represents itself in each site, in its soil, in its orientation. And, and if we do a minimal intervention, we're really letting the grapes and the vineyards speak by themselves. Um, while if you have like more like a, you know, I like a bourg wine style approach. Um, everything ends up tasting the same or similar. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I like I like the idea that you you get to taste diversity when it's when you don't mm -hmm. you know make wine from a recipe essentially. Right. Is that is that a good way to? Yeah. Yeah. No. That's shorthand what you were saying in a way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's basically that. Yeah. It's it's just and then obviously it comes like the part of like you know like nowadays everybody wants to be more respectful to the land, to the soil, to what we drink and eat. And uh, we are more conscious on what we're putting in our bodies and also on how we're farming the land. So that's also important. But um, in a wide spectrum, spectrum, looking at it like like that, I mean, to me, it's like diversity in the wine. It's, it's important in the taste too. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the Syrahs, which, yeah, I think are you know some of the best Syrahs being made. Best in the sense of if you don't want a giant you know overripe mm -hmm. sort of syrah like you guys have plenty of ripeness but this is a balance i mean I, I i know that you guys strive for balance and i think you definitely achieve it in your wines where this is if you want refined elegant 
beautiful Syrah. You guys are making some of the best examples in, you know, mm-hmm. in California, I think. Um, just, yeah, there's very few people who I think are, are able to to evoke from Syrah in California the kind of things that you guys are doing. Thank it's just, yeah, that. it's beautiful. No, <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, um, and, and what, what else are you making? I mean, there's, uh, this, that goes really for all your wines, which really do, you guys really yeah. do a great job with. So what, what else, what, what, I mean, like I said, you're kind of steering away from Pinot and Chardonnay, but do you make right. a Pinot and Chardonnay? Anything? No, no we, we <laughs> yeah, did I didn't think our, so, right? At our previous wineries that we worked for, um, and and don't get me wrong, we do love Pinots and Chardonnays. Uh, we, <laughs> right, right. We just wanted to focus on some of the other varieties that are grown here in Santa Rita Hills, ABA, because um, uh, this is where we live, and um, and we just you know we love Gruner Veltliner, uh, we love yeah, climate Syrahs. Um, we love Grenaches. And so, so those are the varieties that we kind of focus on here in Santa Rita Hills. And then just, uh, just last year, we started to venture outside of Santa Rita Hills into the San Inez Valley and Happy Canyon AVAs. And mm. so now we're, we're doing some Albarino, uh, as well, um, for the whites and, um, and then for the reds, uh, we're doing Graciano, we're doing Carignan, we're doing Gamay. And so, uh, is there anything else yeah, that that's it. Like yeah. we're trying to add a little bit more of, uh, variety to the lineup and <laughs> a little bit more of fun to the harvest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> didn't, wait, didn't I try a carbonic Carignan? Yes. Was oh, that? Yes. Yeah. Oh. We do carbonic Carignan for our wine club. And we do also a pet nut of Gruner, which is also like another fun one. So. Yes. Yeah. Both of those were great. Yeah. I mean, they were all great, but I remember, I think that was my favorite, the uh, carbonic carignan, if, yeah. if I remember. But you made a, a non-carbonic one too. And now I'm confused because that one was really yes. good too. I was like, this is my first carignan that I actually liked and liked a lot. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know which one of those I like better now, but. Anyway, teasing that for anybody who's interested in Carignan. For for me, it was just like I always wanted to make a Carignan, like 100% Carignan. But when I was there at Kita, it was was just part of a blend. And so it was Grenache, Syrah, Carignan. So I called it a GSC instead of a GSM. Mm, Um, I like that. Picking up the bread and putting in the Carignan. But it was always as a blend. And so... And so, uh, so last year I was telling Mireya, I'm like, I want to do it. I want to make a, a Carignan and I want to make it carbonic. <laughs> and then she was like, well, wait, don't you want the Gamay to be carbonic? I'm all, no, I want to learn more about the Gamay. Let's do, let's do the Carignan both ways. So having a carbonic and then having it, you know, just regular, um, maybe I think it has like 15, 20% whole cluster does in 2021. So of the regular Carignan. So of these, of these grapes that you're, I mean, I'll just have to say like, you know, anybody who thinks of these things as sort of like, I don't know, like not prime grapes or not something that they are, you know, that they're excited about. Like, I just want to put it out there that the, you're making them exciting. Um, so <laughs> yeah, like I've never gotten excited about carrying on now. I'm just salivating thinking about yours. So if that's oh, any, no. <laughs> if that's any, um, testament to what you guys are doing but i also think you know it's 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 smart of you to to work with these sort of less you know less uh popular varieties to bring out some of that but are you finding in that area 
you know, that you, you're really liking or really thinking something is doing well there. I mean, look, because I know you're looking at the vineyards, you're working with the vineyards and seeing how things are doing. And, you know, now you've got a couple of vintages of seeing how things are doing and in, in these different extremes that we're experiencing. Is there anything that's sticking out as something that you think has a good future that you're, you're excited about its potential, uh, especially I mean- more than... From the wines that we already made, you mean, or varieties? Yeah, yeah, yeah or or anything that you're excited to try too that you you're seeing as as a potential. No, I think I think the Grenache um, that we just started making last year, actually in 2020, or yeah, two vintages ago already, but um, it 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 has a great potential. I mean, like we haven't really tasted that many Grenaches yet from Santa Rita Hills. Now they are starting to come out. The last couple of years, I think Grenache is going to be um, a great variety. I think like. Um, more Rhone varieties are going to start coming from Santa Rita Hills. Um, we are yeah. seeing warming up also Santa Rita Hills. So, so Pinot Chardonnay is doing great. I love it. Um, but I think Rhones are going to be really good here, like more like a cool climate Rhone. Um, obviously, I love the Syrahs that come from here. Yes. Um, yeah. I think those ones are, are some of the best Syrahs that, yeah, that you can find here in, in California, not only ours, but other Syrahs that are coming from this area. Um, yeah. But yeah, especially especially as rum varieties are gonna. It's, I think it's gonna be interesting to see what else gets planted here. Mm-hmm. Um, Can let's talk about Syrah a little bit. I mean, I know Syrah's had a bad rap for a while in the market. How's it doing for you guys in terms of sales? I think it does better here in the West Coast than in the East Coast. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. Gotcha. The East Coast is a little bit still like one much. What is it? no but but i think in california it's doing good i think we have like great syrahs here people is getting used to taste and drink syrah again and and yeah what's so cool about syrahs too is that just that there's so many different ways of making a syrah yeah yeah that's what's so fun about it is just like you know you get you get to taste like so many different styles of syrah and um of what yeah. doing out yeah. there. So. I mean, and it's really I mean, one of the few varieties that you can have planted, like, like for example, I mean, you're in Santa Rita Hills, Western Age, you have, like, yeah, Pinot and Chardonnay, but you cannot have Pinot and Chardonnay in Happy Canyon. Or, well, you can plant it, but it's, you know for sure it's not going to work. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> you can basically plant it anywhere, uh, and it's going to work. It's going to taste different in one right. area or another one, but it's a variety that that I think it, it, it's really, it adapts really good to a lot of different uh, climate conditions. And and you're gonna have like totally different styles depending on the climate, but it's it's a variety that it really anywhere here in Santa Barbara County for sure, but um, in a lot of different what, wine regions. So. What do you find are some of the things that you have to do to make a good cool climate Syrah? I mean, can you talk about some of these specific I don't know things that you look for, the techniques that you use, you know, way treatments of the grapes that you do to evoke what you think it it really brings out the best of cool climate Syrah. And and I don't know if that's different from warmer climate Syrah, but yeah, I'm curious about that. Well, for us, uh, we really don't have to do much. And that's the theory of this wine region. Uh, Yeah. Like the the, the good thing about Santa Rita Hills is that uh, fruit ripens really slowly. Um, yeah. and, and it retains really good acidity. So, right. so Super that's, important. yeah, so that's really important <laughs> yeah. for our style of wine making, obviously. Um, yeah. and for, for the style of wines that we want to make, uh, because we want to make wines that are like more fruit friendly, a little bit, um, you know, medium body, not like big and bald. So, but they still have like, you know, like that ripeness and, and that acidity both. Um, 
Um, so we don't really have to do a lot because the okay. fruit comes really good, but uh, we just like try to be like really gentle, like depending which vineyard you add, we add a little bit more of less of a of, uh, little bit of our cluster inclusion, um, okay. just to give a little bit more of the spiciness or like to even like everything that's like sometimes it's like um, you have a, a wine that you think it's going to be a little bigger. So you can kind of like make it a little bit less lighter or like fresher in, in a style with that. Or it's just like little touches in wine making, but but it's really nothing. And also, too, we we, we bleed a lot. Yeah, so, so what so what we get off of the sorting table, you know, we we figure out what the percentage of bleed that is and and how much we're going to add back. So so depending on how the fruit comes in, if it comes in like, you know, a little bit higher in sugar, um, then we'll add more percentage of that juice back in. But but if we're trying to extract more from it, then we'll keep that juice out and put it into the rosé program. Um, so, right. it's, so that's kind of like how we manipulate kind of that a little bit in that sense is is um you know the depth of of the of the juice coming out that we did de- we determine how much to add back just just off of the bleed we may lose a little bit of of juice well not lose it we put it into the rosé which at the end is a lower price but uh you lose a little bit of juice to make like a little bit more of like quality or like mm. more structure or more like depth um depending on the wine depending on the vineyard um but other than this that, is... we just like try to be like super gentle at the winery. Uh, we basically do, uh, do foot stomping. Yeah, foot stomping. <laughs> do, um, do you? So you're talking about sonye, right? So is that is that a practice that you do uh, as a rule, or do you do you make that judgment based on we, like wh- yeah, like are, what what are you picking at and yeah, go yeah. Ahead. I mean, not it's not a rule. Uh, we do some percentage of sonye probably in all the wines. Um, Okay. One that we don't do sometimes is the Grenache. Okay. Because that <laughs> that's one is already big. Because that's like, if you do a signature, it's like, <laughs> but, uh, but depending on the, on the vintage and depending on the vineyard, we do more or less. Um, okay. So it could go from like a 5% to a 20%. So sometimes it's gotcha. like really small. Sometimes it's like, okay, this is a lot of like wine that you're pulling out, but we feel that that wine though wouldn't have enough depth or wouldn't have enough structure or um so that's nice. how because well. it concentrates it essentially yeah. concentrates, concentrates what's left right yeah, you have more skins then less use yeah you get more color you get more tanning you get i don't know a little so bit we different. so we kind of create a program for everything so nothing gets wasted basically like mm-hmm. right right we save, we save everything and and put it into the different programs that we're trying to create yeah um so oh, i love that um <laughs> oh you made me think what what are you picking at Syrah, like what are your what are you looking for at harvest in terms of bricks and pH? Uh, well, it, I it, mean, what, what's possible there in Santa Rita? What's possible there? Like... Yeah, so so the, it just depends. Um, for example, for Syrahs, uh, yeah, for Syrah, that's what I meant. Yeah, different peaks. Uh, so normally, like anything between 23, 23 and a half, 23 and a half. Yeah. Uh, that's what we try to pick our Syrahs. Our pHs are around three point four when we pick three point. So, Sometimes a little higher, depending if it's been warm uh, or whatever. If, if so, I mean, this year we're a little higher, obviously, because we had like all that heat yeah. that burned the skins and everything. But but pHs are like pretty low here in Santa Rita Hills, yeah. and that's and the acids are high. Like we pick at, I mean, not yeah. this, on this rise, maybe they are around six, but still like pretty high yeah. acids. So so that's nice. the thing. Yeah. So that's the thing. I mean, pH you don't taste pH. It's 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 more oh, like I a see. matter of like you know like preserving the wine and stuff. But as acid 
in grams liter, like what we calculate in grams liter, you can taste the acidity of the wine, right? Right. Uh, yeah. So a, a, if a Syrah has an acid of six, I cannot pick it at 22 bricks because it's going to be totally unbalanced. Uh, it's right. Just <laughs> when you make it, you're drinking white wine then, basically. Uh, right. so, so people ask, like, what, what bricks do you pick? Uh, it, it really depends a lot on the whole chemistry, the whole yeah, picture of, of the variety. Yeah, right. Yeah, gotcha. we do a lot of analysis. We can like our Grenaches. <laughs> yeah, our our Grenaches. Uh, <laughs> Grenache comes from a vineyard here in, in that it's like literally like right outside Santa Rita Hills, but in the western side. Uh, so it's closer to the ocean, and and there's no way we can pick at 23 or 24 bricks because it's gonna have a pH of three. And a yeah. TA of, and, and of 10. 10. So it's like, you have to wait till it's 25 or 25 and a half, because if not, like... Right, <laughs> yeah. right. yeah. In lemon juice. <laughs> that's that's where, yeah, that's where Grenache grown there finds its balance. Yeah, yeah. We, we look at the whole picture and uh, combination of everything and, and taste, obviously, and flavor, too. Mm-hmm. And then we right. Yeah. No, I, I I mean, Terry, you made a good point there in, in the background about how much analysis you do. But I, I mean, I think when you are trying, I mean, that is the tool that we have to use when we're trying not to screw things up. So it's like, yeah. you know, information is really the main tool and you're reacting to the information rather than, you know, directing by manipulating. You are, you're like, mm-hmm. just, you have to have good information so you can know how to react yeah. and how to respond, to like when to pick. Or, yeah. yeah. No, and then of course, you know, you have 110 degree, 10 days spell or hundred to mm-hmm. 110 degree, 10 day spell. And like all your plans go out the window and you just have to do the best you can. Um, right. I, I and I think, that. and I think our, our time at J lore too has really helped us on, I mean, in terms of like understanding the analysis side of it and, and color and, and pigments and, and everything, just everything in general. Um, so we, we kind of, like use that too, just just to be able to track each vintage and and stuff. Like we, we run a a lot of analysis and make sure you know you just your your general winemaking protocols keep everything topped up and um, all your barrels and because you know we 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 do add a little bit of SO two, but that's uh, that's right at bottle. Um, yeah. When it the first and only time it sees it. So so we try and do things here in the winery to to make sure that, you know, since since it's 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 all very risky that that we keep everything, you know, in order and topped up and um and always like evaluating. And it sounds like I mean you know the 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 tools that we have to manage that risk are our pH and CO2 management and oxygen exclusion. Are you guys mm-hmm. is that do you have other techniques that you guys are using to no, do that if since once, you're working with that? it's in barrel or or in a tank yeah basically it's um you have what you have so the only thing that you can really do it's it's um no oxygen right. and temperature you can i mean if you have like we don't have a cooling system but besides the ac in the winery <laughs> right right <laughs> well we have a call room for right. breaks but um, you don't have like a glycol system. But we don't have a glycol, 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 glycol system or nothing. So that's another way of like minimizing oxidation. Obviously, if you have that, bring your temperature really low and it always helps. But um, but if not, yeah, just like no oxygen, basically. Do you do you have, how quickly do you go through MLF? Um, we're three quarters of the way done now. Um, now? Okay. Yeah. I Okay. Uh, I mean, it's it's really super cold though in the in the barrel storage yeah. room. I mean, like 
we're down in the low 50s. Like, I think it was 52 this morning in there. And so it's like, we're yeah. trying to warm it up. And and some of the whites, you know, like we're bottling here in February. Like, it's like I brought them back to, to um, you know, our, our winery here on F Street to, we turned on the heater to kind of warm it up to help it finish. But know? not for malolactic. These ones no, are no. for sugars because yeah, they're still just, fermenting. <laughs> yeah. It's Albertino. It always yeah, takes forever. Oh, wow. The first wow. white variety to come in and the last to finish fermentation. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Is, it, that, is it? Go ahead. Is it searing acidity? Is that what it is? Like, really just. Or is yeah, it just it's super, that, the nature? Super low pH, uh, really high acid, and uh, yeah. And it's it's not that it's. I mean, it's not that it has a lot of alcohol for yeast to not be able to ferment. It's just like it's. But I think it's just the variety. I don't know why. I, I really want like someone else to tell me, like someone that doesn't add yeast to the wine if they always had right. uh, Albariño because I used to have problems. We I used to make Albariño in Spain too. At the winery I was working, we had Albariño, and uh-huh. I always had problems with Albariño there too. And it was the only huh. variety that would always have uh, so slowly fermentation. Um, so yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when we decided true. that we were gonna make Albariño here, I already knew this was gonna happen. It's like it takes forever to finish. Yeah. So there's always like this last four or five grams that take forever and it's just like god so now we're giving it a lot of tlc hugging it doing whatever yeah. it <laughs> body, body heat so yeah. we could be ready to bottle by February. <laughs> <laughs> put a blanket over it give it yeah. a pat on the head yeah um well i mean that, that brings up a really interesting point and uh, just about vineyards as well. I mean, like you have these varieties that do different things, but I, I'm sure since you guys work with so many different vineyards, it's a, I, I mean, to me, it's one of my favorite things is to get to know a vineyard, you know, it, which seems to take years in terms of just learning how it responds to heat, to cold, to rain, you know, to all the different things that can come in a vintage. And, and then, I mean, it's like, sort of the first time you make wine from a new place it's almost like experimental do you guys find that where you're sort of like well let's just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks because you know there even if you've worked with the grape before when you go to a new place there's all these other factors that are intangibles that come into play that you know you you learn by doing really it's almost hard to to prepare for have you found that or or how's you know what's that experience like for you guys? I think definitely I mean you never know exactly how how the grape you know thrives or not in a vineyard until you try to make wine out of it and yeah and you may take you may taste we taste always like you know like wine from other winemakers that are making wine from the same vineyard but but you don't know how they make the wine or like not 100 percent. so right different than how am i gonna make it and it may not work for me that great for whatever reason in my style until yeah when we find a new vineyard it's always like fun to see like it's gonna come. What are we gonna do? You and know? also, too, talking back to to the wine growers now, because now this is like the second year in a row that we've had this happen to us with Albarino. Um, so, so having discussions with them and seeing, you know, kind of picking their brains a little bit too, and know what yeah. what could be some of the causes of this of of um, you know why it's so slow in finishing. Yeah, that is strange. I, I mean, because, yeah, we brought like, it in, in August, and and yeah, <laughs> weird. Yeah, it's you know, still <laughs> likes to take its time. So yeah, but, but this is the winery we come back to <laughs> have lunch and stuff because here at least it's a little bit warmer and 
Like we're not in the low fifties like we are in the other building. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, That's great. Oh, yeah. oh man. Well, there's so many things I could probably learn from you about winemaking, but um, rather than keep you too long, how how can people taste all these different things? What's the best way to to find out more about you? Uh, I mean, the the easiest way to taste with us if you're like in like a close area to Lompoc, it's come to the tasting room. Or like if you're traveling through here or like we're only two hours from LA or two and a half hours from mm-hmm. LA. So it's it's uh, it's not that far. But yeah, we have the tasting room. Um, right now, uh, it's only open by appointment, but uh, we're hoping to open uh, in January uh, a new next tasting month. room next month <laughs> uh, in the wine ghetto area. So There's I'll be open uh, <laughs> for walk-ins. Um, and, and, and our option... And then also, too, there's the website, so caminesdreams.com. Um, and then also the third option is to, we, we also sell the tasting kits. So for those that maybe can't come and visit us um, or are from the East Coast or whatever and never come out this way, um, that was one that was one of the things that kind of saved us during COVID is that we introduced these tasting kits where you get to taste with the winemaker and the owners, um, which kind of separates us out, um, you know, from, from a lot of the other wineries that are doing it. Cause it's not that often you get to actually meet and taste with winemakers and the owners. So, so we ship you, we ship you home, like, you know, a sample of five wines and then send you a zoom link and, and you get to taste with us. That's, so it's, I love that idea. Yeah. As Tara said, we started drink COVID and, and it stick around because people keeps asking for it still. So, so we're still doing it. It's fun. Mm-hmm. And um, it's all, you know, like private with whoever purchased the kids or group of people that purchase uh, yeah. friends. And yeah, we yeah. have, yeah, we, we sell a lot of these during the holidays as well, because it's a way of families kind of like gathering who, who maybe can't come to each other's houses or whatnot. They get to see each other on Zoom. And so we had a lot of like family reunions of people that we were tasting with that they got to see each other, you know, here on the screen. And so that was, that was really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, thanks guys. This is great. And that's Cummings to Dreams at C-A-M-I-N-S, the number two, and then dreams.com. Love it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. This is great talking to you. I, we'll, we'll talk more. And uh, just this is a tease for everybody else to, to try all your stuff because it's, uh, yeah, worth trying. <laughs> but thank you so much. Great talking to you guys. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And I just wanted to give a special shout out to Belen Arredondo, who is our mutual friend with Tara, Maria, and myself and helped make this podcast possible. So thank you, Belen. 